Welcome to the future of XYZ. I'm your host, Lisa Grelnick, principal and founder of LVG & Co., an independent strategy consultancy based in New York City. Through quick and candid conversations with innovative leaders, we aim to foster new thinking and explore big questions about where we are as a world and where we're going. Good afternoon and welcome to the future of XYZ. Today, uh, we have the distinct honor of having the Chief Mission Officer of Best Friends Animal Society, Holly Sizemore with us. Holly is um, a longtime veteran of Best Friends, celebrating her 20th year with the organization uh, in 2021. More importantly, Best Friends has been around since the early 80s, but Holly herself has been a volunteer since 1987. So this is a passion and we're gonna be talking about um, animal sheltering and animal welfare in America specifically uh, for this episode of Future of XYZ. Welcome, Holly. Thank you, Lisa. It's so nice to be here. Uh, it's wonderful to have you and, and a really exciting uh, and tragic topic, but you guys are doing work that makes it far less tragic. So I think, you know, first question for people who don't know and haven't prepped this conversation already, what is uh, animal sheltering and animal welfare in America right now as a subject? Animal welfare is broader. It encompasses a lot of amazing work that encompasses all sorts of animals. Um, you see animal welfare generally things like being involved in animal testing issues, in humane farming, in sheltering. So animal sheltering is one component of animal welfare. And typically when we think about animal sheltering in America, we think about our domestic pets, you know, mostly cats and dogs and some bunnies and others. So that's where Best Friends emphasis really lies is on the animal sheltering across the United States of America. That makes sense. So we're, we're going to be focused on dogs and cats primarily uh, for the purpose of this conversation. And, and so if we think about, you know, where we are right now, because in order to talk about the future of anything, we need to know where we've been and where we are, at least I believe that. Where are we now uh, in, in, on this topic of, you know, animal sheltering and animal welfare? We're in a really exciting time. There are days when I think, I can't believe it took so long to get here. And there are other days when it, it's just so reassuring and wonderful to know that in my lifetime, I am very confident that we're going to see the day and here soon where no more cats and dogs are being needlessly killed in America's shelters and where our shelters are getting the support they need so that they don't have to euthanize animals. And that's really our focus and Best Friends has actually put our stake in the ground and that we want to see this happen by the year 2025. And wow. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty- but the future uh, is near. It's, it's here. And what's really interesting is our CEO, Julie Castle, actually put that stake in the ground back in 2016 at our national conference. And what was hilarious that not very many people know is that internally we had done some initial analysis, but our analysis was really poor because there wasn't any real good data out there. It was all estimates. And so we were trying to decide, okay, when is it feasible to, to make this happen? And we, we had come up with 2030. And then at a national conference, our CEO, she gets on stage and she's like, we 
need to end the killing of cats and dogs in America by 2025. <laughs> we were all in the audience and we were like, what? And it was such a brilliant moment though. She just had this epiphany and, and said, I know we can do it earlier. I know we don't have all the information. 2030 seems too far away. And, and her instincts were right because then what that forced us to do was dive in in a really urgent way and get the data we need. And Best Friends created the first master shelter list. I mean, back in 2015, we didn't even know how many brick and mortar animal shelters there were in the US. Right. And so we had some estimations of what was going on, but we didn't really know what was happening. What we knew for sure was that the animal sheltering industry, so to speak, was one that grew out of a need that no longer existed. Interesting. You know, Explain that to me a little bit and to our listeners, because I mean, this is, you know, basically the shelter system has been around for the better part of maybe 150 years. Yes. And Sadly, what was happening 150 years ago before there were shelters was that there were actually started in New York City and there were a lot of free roaming dogs in particular running around creating real safety hazards and rabies issues. And so the city started putting a bounty on these dogs. And so you could get money by bringing a dog and they were drowning these dogs in the East River in these gigantic cages. And so the public outcry from that, of course, was huge. And what happened then, the response was, well, we have to address this issue. So they started building shelters and they started killing those animals behind closed doors where people wouldn't see it. It was still happening and, and it wasn't happening in much better ways than drowning them in the East River. And so our movement grew out of a real issue of, too many animals roaming the streets. We didn't have space, a lot of space. Neuter, right? That helps. That help. That helps. That really changed the whole game, right? But what we found decades later, even in the 80s, and when Best Friends and some other pioneers of the no-kill movement said, why are we having to kill these animals in the first place? because spay-neuter had been normalized. We no longer had the overpopulation problem that we truly legitimately had 150 years ago. And yet we were still stuck in this mindset of the best we can do for these animals is to provide a humane death. We had made huge inroads over those decades in humanely ending the life of an animal, right? Mm -hmm. But we were still saying things like, there's not enough homes for them all. And then we dug into the data and we actually discovered, heck yeah, there are plenty of homes for them all, for the homeless animals in our shelters. We have a distribution problem, you know, and we have a resource problem. And we have just a, a problem of not thinking towards the future. I think as in America, we generally have that problem on lots of subjects. So we're, but we're, we're moving and there's lots of action on lots of topics right now. So I'm excited to hear that. I, I think you talked to something here that I just want to touch on for a second that I hadn't thought about much before, which is we think about in this animal sheltering system, the animals, because they are the focus. 
But in fact, it's one thing for the public to be traumatized seeing a whole bunch of dogs, you know, being put down, you know, drowned in the East River in cages. But the people who are having to do that or who are having to euthanize behind doors or now working in shelters that, you know, if you don't find a home for this pet, it's going to be euthanized. Like that must be just horrible for the human beings who are volunteering their time or working in professionally in these systems. It's one of the things I'm most passionate about. I, I got into the animal welfare movement because of my love for animals and because of my own interactions with my local shelter way back in the early 90s. But now that I've gotten to know so many shelter workers who they work at shelters because they love animals and then they are tasked with ending the life of the animals that they're there to protect and love. It is the most traumatizing, horrible thing. And, and I, I wanna see that day of ending all the killing just as much for those people as animals sake. And sadly, sometimes they get vilified by the public and people displace the blame onto them. And, and that's really a sad tragedy. So we really always want to say we're doing this for the animal and for our shelter workers. I, I, it's, I, I appreciate that um, very honest answer, Holly, because it just, it just struck me when you were telling me, like, I mean, as a, as a dog lover and dog owner myself, I mean, I, I, I truly rue the day when I imagine something happened to him and, and the people who help us in every system, you know, just adore the animals. And I would imagine in a shelter system, maybe even more than your local vets. So I, I, one, one thing that it also sparks is this idea, you know, I have this visual in my head when we think about the shelter of like the classic dog catcher, right? I mean, from the cartoons from, you know, our childhood, the SPCA kind of situation, like does the dog catcher still exist in our modern world? It shouldn't, and it doesn't in very many places. I would say there are still some places that have more of a pound mentality, that old dog catcher, but we really are transforming from this sort of punitive citation. Every animal on the street needs to be scooped up for the health and well being of our communities. We now know that a lot of that is false. We now know that safe and humane communities are actually a mutually supportive concept. And we now have many animal control officers who are not just out there enforcing important safety laws, they're also out there helping preserve the human animal bond. It's just like progressive policing in our human police force. It's about getting away from this punitive based model to the supportive model. There are some animal control officers actually who like carry dog um, fence mending equipment in their trucks so that if they see a dog running loose, they get the dog, it has a tag, hopefully always, they call the owner instead of impounding that animal into that shelter setting, which is not ideal for any animal to be in. No. They take the dog home and instead of maybe writing a ticket and chastising the owner and giving them the heavy, they say, how is your dog getting out? Do you know? And they try to help solve the root cause problem. And so you're seeing more and more animal control officers, I think, being in a position where they're real heroes in our communities. 
Well, and that's and that's so interesting. I think one of the things that you know comes to my mind also when we're thinking about that, Holly, in that model is like, you know, it, it doesn't have to be kids. I obviously don't have kids, and I still have a dog who I adore. But like, you see the kid. I just have these cartoon pictures like playing in my head right now for some reason about this whole situation. Maybe it just makes it easier to to cope with, you know. But you see the kid who's missing his dog, you know, Fido ran away and the animal control officer either scooped him up or didn't, you know, in the return. But we've seen during the last, you know, 12 months, just this unbelievable explosion of animal adoption, but also just, you know, domesticated animals being brought into homes. When we think about the future of animal sheltering, are you guys at best friends concerned about what happens when the world reopens or goes back to normal in, in any way? We're surely thinking a lot about it and we're thinking more in a positive light. You know, COVID was a tragedy that I feel we all wish would never happen, but we're obligated to seize the silver linings. And what COVID did for our animal sheltering system is that it turned this idea that we have to institutionalize animals. It made us rethink this idea that every person who is struggling with keeping their pet, the, the first thing they think of is to give it over to a shelter. It forced us to think differently because the shelters had to close their doors or do just a skeleton crew to keep their staff safe. And so they went to emergency only intake in many cases. And guess what? The sky didn't fall. Rabbit animals weren't running through the streets, biting people and creating havoc. It made us really understand that we don't need to, to be taking in so many animals. And that and if we stopped that flow a little bit and then reallocated those resources on supporting the community to be better, more equipped, responsible pet parents, give them the resources they need to succeed, then we all win. There's yeah. fewer people who have to give up their pets. There's fewer animals in this institutionalized setting that's stressful. And then the animal shelter personnel, their professional expertise gets to be used in ways that help keep pets and families together. Yeah, that's that's pretty amazing. I'm and 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 definitely a spin. I've been looking at all these like you know pet parents and new pet parents in the dog park and going, oh my god, what happens when they go back to work? And I like that attitude a lot more than than than, than what I was fearing. All over the place. What's going to happen when everyone goes back to work? I'm like, plenty of working people had pets before COVID. And so, you know, I, I tell people, look, ask your boss if you can start bringing your animal to work on Fridays. You know, we know too, our, our workforces are fundamentally changed. And so there will be more remote opportunities for some. We realize it's not, you know, an option for everyone, but plenty of people worked full-time jobs and had pets before. Sure, you may need to start to create, train your dog so that they're more used to that dinning behavior if you're gonna be gone for a number of hours. But there's a lot of ways and a lot of resources out there. Thank goodness, technology these days <laughs> gives us so many great resources on how to, you know, train our dogs, train ourselves so that we- <laughs> Most importantly. Yeah, yes. Most importantly, I adopted a young dog for the very first time recently. I'd never had a young dog my entire life. And so I was on YouTube like all the time going, how do I train this dog to do this? You know, and I learned a lot and I, I'm supposedly an animal expert. So, you know, YouTube like is it. a great resource. 
So where, which communities, I mean, or, you know, we're talking about America. I, I think that I would imagine, I don't know if this is true, but globally, we are probably reasonably progressive in the way that we treat our animals like children. Um, so we must be reasonably progressive. Tell me if that's true. But more importantly, since we are talking about America and Holly, I know that's best friends kind of purview. Are, are there certain states or certain cities that are more progressive and more advanced than others? Or, or, or is everyone kind of equally playing field? Well, the good news is there are bright spots everywhere. And that's one of the joys of my work. I get to interact with thousands of animal welfare professionals from across the US and, and you, you see these amazing bright spots everywhere. There are certainly some communities that um, have the resources uh, or are doing better than others for sure. And interestingly, there are five states, just five states that make up 50% of all the animals being killed across the US. And part of that is because they're gigantic, highly populated states. It's, it's probably no surprise, it's California, Texas, North Carolina, Louisiana, and I'm forgetting the fifth one. It used to be Georgia and they bumped off. Georgia last year reduced their shelter killing by a third. And so they bumped off and then Louisiana bumped on Florida. That was the one I, I was forgot. gonna say, it's gonna be Florida. <laughs> yeah, the other big one. So part of it is they have huge population population bases. Part of it is the southern part of the US without winters. They have more um, stray cat um, issues. And for every dog that is killed in America's shelters, more than two cats are killed. So we really have gotten a better handle on dogs. And the reason for that is, you know, dogs interact with us a little bit differently. There are still free roaming what we call community cats out there you know they were they someone abandoned a cat or it was born on the street and then a whole bunch of people in the neighborhood feed I, it but i have one of those in my neighborhood oh that's great they have the little ear tip that's the way you know that a community cat has been spayed and neutered and vaccinated is oh that i didn't know that what is it yeah so when they're under anesthesia so it's painless they just clip off the very tip of usually the left ear, sometimes the right. So you'll see just a little square tip. And that is the international symbol for a spayed and neutered and vaccinated community or feral cat. Wow. So because cats can more successfully live that way in our communities, um, you know, they're, 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 they need to be handled differently than dogs. And that's why these trap neuter return programs where we humanely trap the cats, take them to the veterinarian, get them spayed, neutered, vaccinated, tip their ear, put them back to their outdoor home where oftentimes one or more neighbors are caring for them. And then they can live out in our communities, but without reproducing and without creating more kittens and then a burden on our communities. And our that makes sense. I mean, I, I think that I don't know if it's the mission of Best Friends, but I know it's part of your, your goal setting, which is creating a better world through kindness to animals, right? Yes. Um, and, and all of this really resonates with me. I think as we think about, so we have no kill 2025 as being a goal. Um, are there any states right now who are no kill? Delaware, Delaware is the one, the only one. And you know, they're a tiny state and they're doing great work. They, 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 from a policy perspective, they've addressed this issue. They have a statewide animal welfare policy house, which is great. They have a lot of wonderful organizations that uh, work and, and coordinate 
together. And so there's some other states that are, you know, maybe in 2020, because we don't have our 2020 numbers all crunched yet. Okay. So teaser in June, um, we, we should have a better idea. There's some states that are right on the heels and even the states where the most animals are dying, we're seeing tremendous progress. And, and of course, those are the states we have many partners in with. To give you an example of a Texas community, there's one really far south in Texas called Palm Valley Animal Society in McAllen area, Texas. Like as far south in Texas as you can go. And these guys had really been left behind um, in the animal welfare movement. And they wanted help and they wanted to save more lives. And just a few years ago, they were, they were killing more cats and dogs than any other shelter in the entire US in this, in this you know, area that isn't that populous. And they now this year, they were able to achieve the no-kill benchmark, which is a wow. 90% save rate. So just, and we've been partnering with them and there have been other amazing organizations that have supported them. Maddie's Fund, Petco, you know, a lot of, a lot of energy going to help those guys. And, and, but they also really changed the way they thought about engaging their own community along the way. So it wasn't just a bunch of us coming in and sort of saving. Mandating. Yeah, it was us all working together and working with the community to make it happen. And that's what we need to really be focused on moving forward is that we have an opportunity now to not, to, to, to say goodbye to that institutionalization of, of big, ugly brick and mortar buildings with rows and rows of cages and kennels to creating systems that are more foster-based, that are more solutions oriented, that, it's, we call it community supported sheltering where we're providing support to the community so that the community can provide support to the shelters, that mutually supportive system. And COVID taught us that it can be done. And particularly to what you said earlier, Lisa, like people stood up in droves. When shelters put the call out, we have to close. People stood up and said, yes, I'll foster. And many of those fosters failed, which we love because we call them foster wins, not foster. <laughs> when people keep their foster. Exactly. When people decide to adopt their foster pet. They're forever home. Exactly. And so we know that if we reach out to the community, involve the community more, they're going to step up. And we've seen that with COVID. And now the big trick is, will some shelters go back? Yeah, we're already seeing it to some degree. Um, but many did learn some really good lessons and we're all learning to lift each other up better. That's the other thing that COVID brought to our movement. We're collaborating and talking to each other in a way that we never did before. You would think that animal welfare is like this really feel good industry, but there was a lot of infighting because we were very lucky to have a clear common goal. We all wanted to save more lives, but there was a ton of different opinions on the best way to do that and the right language to use around that. And because animals' lives are hanging in the balance, it can get very passionate and very emotional. So there was a lot of infighting and COVID forced us to get over ourselves and get focus our ego on the animals the way and focus on what was really important. So that's been a blessing too. 
I, I think that's such a lovely place to end this conversation, Holly, because at the end of the day, what you're saying about the future of animal sheltering in America is that it's quite bright. And in many ways, COVID has made it stronger, better, more community, more collaborative, less kill uh, on this pathway to no kill 2025. So thank you for joining me. It's been a pleasure. It's been so nice to be here. And I would like to encourage people to go and look at their own community. We have something called the Pet Life Saving Dashboard on our website. It's at bestfriends.org slash 2025 goal. And you can actually go to your state, your community, your local shelters and see what the situation is there in terms of life saving and see how you can help. Because that's really what it boils down to is people saying, yeah, I'll pitch in. In the, in the community. Well, I'm, I'm glad you did that because I was going to say bestfriends.org is also where you can donate money. So um, everyone should do it. Um, Holly, thank you again for joining us on Future of XYZ. Uh, and people listening, uh, if you haven't already, we've launched on Instagram. So please follow Future of XYZ on that platform. Or again, you know where to find me on LinkedIn. So thank you uh, and podcasts everywhere. So thank you. And we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening to the Future of XYZ. If you like what you've been hearing, please follow Lisa Grelnick on LinkedIn. Visit future-of.xyz or subscribe to the Future of XYZ podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.